Let's bow. O Lord God Almighty, to whom all his creation answers, and especially man created in thy image, such a privilege, O Lord, and in bringing him back from destruction and offering salvation to whosoever will may come. O Lord, as we are gathered here in the quietness of this afternoon, we ask thy blessing upon thy good and holy word, O Lord, that it may refresh us, quicken us, strengthen us, encourage us, O Lord, that we be prepared again to face this world, which has so many distractions, to keep us busy, O Lord, and away from those things which are profitable for eternity. Grant us this grace, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd like to read and meditate with the Lord's help out of the Word of God as found in 1 Chronicles chapter 13. Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 13. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds, and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and the Levites which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us, and let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shehor of Egypt, even unto the entering of Hamath, to bring the ark of God from Kirjath-Jerim. And David went up on all Israel to Bela that is, to Kirchakirim, which belonged to Judah, and to bring up thence the ark of God, the Lord, that dwelleth between the cherubims, whose name is called on it. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drave the cart. And David and all Israel played before the Lord with all their might, and with singing, and with harps, and psalteries, and with timbrels, and with cymbals, and with trumpets. And when they came unto the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark. And there he died before the Lord. And David was displeased, because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. Wherefore, that place is called Paris Uzzah to this day. 
And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? So David brought not the ark home to himself to the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obedom the Gidite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obedom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obedom and all that he had. Just uh, some background on this passage that we read. Back in the desert, God instructed Moses to build the tabernacle according to the pattern that he showed him in the mount, and with it to build an ark, uh, sort of an elongated box, covered with gold inside and outside, with two figures of cherubims above it. And in, in that box, uh, or ark, as it is called, they placed the Ten Commandments that the Lord gave to Moses, and later on, a pot of manna, and later on, a rod of almond, that was uh, the sign to the Israelites that God had chosen Aaron to approach him as a priest and his followers, the descendants of Aaron. And God commanded, you shall not make any image and fall down to worship it. But those things uh, were made And the supreme held in awe was, of course, the commandments that were contained in the ark. Now, the Israelites, they put more trust into the ark than in doing what was right before God. In Eli... The judge, the prophet, the judge and priest, time uh, they were fighting the Philistines and uh, they were defeated once. And then they thought they will take the ark of the Lord with them into the battle and God is going to give them a victory. But it was not so. Again, they were defeated. And the Ark of the Covenant, as it was called, was taken from them, was taken to the Philistine city, put into the house of their idol. And God, uh, in one occasion, uh, made that idol of stone, perhaps it was, bow down before the Ark. And when they put it up the next day, he destroyed it again. And there was a great plague upon the Philistines. And then they figured that perhaps it's because they had the Ark of the Lord, they had taken it from the Israelites, that the Lord was bringing these plagues upon them. And they returned the Ark of the Lord. And it was taken to a place uh, called Kirshadarim. 
And there it was a long time, it says. I think something like 20 years. Now it occurred to David said that the ark really should come closer. By that time, David, they had conquered Jerusalem and it became his headquarter to live there and he wanted to bring the ark of the Lord there. And that's where this record starts. First he consults with all of Israel, shall we do this thing? Yes. And David then with, with, with much festivity brought the ark. They went to get it. And first they said, <clears throat> interestingly here says, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. Again, there's an indication that Saul was a very self-willed man. He did things the way he taught. He didn't inquire of the Lord. And we see that even the priests he didn't consult them in his time. You know, they didn't know what was going on when David fled from Saul and came to, to, to the priests and, and Saul took the priests to task. Uh, they didn't know what was going on, so he had not communicated with them. He had neglected. And God had instructed, in the law had instructed that when they shall have a king, you know, that they should Live by the word. Go by the word. And the word was given that the Levites and, and the priests should proclaim it and should give the judgment. And Saul neglected that. He was a self-willed man. But David, it says, was a man after God's own heart. He inquired of the Lord. And when he committed a grave sin, he rather threw himself at the mercy of God than at the mercy of man. And repented. So David was a man in his generation, was a man after God's own heart. And he had good intentions here to bring the ark to Jerusalem with great festivity. But what went wrong? What went wrong? Why was God's anger kindled against Uzzah, who tried to steady the ark? Steady the ark of the Lord. And the Lord says, And when they came unto the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. We see here, you know, a man after God's own heart, desiring to do what he thought was the will of the Lord, consulting with people to do it. They all agreeing, and with great festivity, they were going to do it, and yet the Lord was displeased. What was wrong? If I remember reading the first time this account, he said, oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. But what was wrong? We read, and later on, David realized his mistake. And David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. Then David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. The mistake was that it was carried on a cart. And it was a new cart. No. Good intentions. 
and yet God was very displeased with it. God had instructed, Moses said, that the ark shall be born, shall be carried. There were special instructions when they would move from one place to another that the priest would go in and even cover up the ark so that they would not be seen by everybody and that only those that were assigned were going to, were going to carry the ark. So we see then that God took very serious that disregard for his specific instruction, for specific instruction. When it comes to worship of God and when God said something, we better be serious and careful about it. You will remember also Aaron's son. He had four sons, I think I recorded. Adab, Nadab and Abihu, Eliezer and Idamar. And the two oldest ones, which together with Aaron did the priest's office, they were assigned. It says that the two oldest ones, they offered uh, incense, a fire before the Lord that was not ordered by God, that God had not instructed them to do. And God destroyed them with a fire. Very serious. Good intentions, but God was displeased because he had instructed what should be done very carefully. So we can see then that here, a new card, good intentions didn't help. Didn't help. You cannot improve upon, you should not try to improve upon what God specifically states he wants. You should not. He takes it very serious. How does that apply to us? Jerusalem became the place of worship. David realized that God was pleased with that place to worship, and, and, he <clears throat> and that's where he wanted to build a temple, but he was not allowed to. It was Solomon, his son, which built the temple upon God's instruction. And before it was built, there were many places, or several places at least, where they offered sacrifices. Shiloh was one place, that's where Eli was. Gibeon was a high place where where, uh, Solomon offered many sacrifices before the temple was built. And the Lord had said, he said, that's how you offer by sacrifices, how you should build the altar, what to do, and so forth. He says, but the Lord is going to choose one place, one place he's going to choose where he's going to put his name, and that's where then they should offer the sacrifices. And once that place came to be, any other place was not acceptable. Any other place was considered rebellion. It had to be at Jerusalem. And we see that the northern kingdom with, with uh, Jeroboam, they were the first ones to disobey, and right away as they instituted to build a sacrifice uh, place at Bethel, which was idolatry. So when God says something, we better be careful that it be so. Jerusalem was the place of worship. But there came a time, and we read, and uh, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well in Samaria. And he said, believe me, there comes a time where neither at this mountain nor at Jerusalem shall they worship God. But they that want to worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
And notice he says, in truth, in truth, spirit and in truth. And God takes that very serious when it comes to truth. It must be in truth. The basis for our worship must be truth. Jesus Christ said of himself, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He is the truth. And whatsoever he said is truth. We better heed it. So the teachings of Christ that he gave and that he instructed his disciples to proclaim is truth. We better heed it. We be careful. And I'm afraid that this time, truth is not taken as seriously anymore. There was a time when, as far as I know, all our denomination held to certain points of doctrine. Doctrine is those things which must be taught as truth and must be believed and obeyed. When we were all on the same page, now you hear rumblings. Now you hear things, disagreements. Now our statement of faith, which is based on the word of God and proclaims specific points of the truth of the doctrine of Christ, is being disregarded by those which once associated with us. And by all appearance, many don't regard that as a serious thing. They freely associate and mingle. They don't see much of a difference. Don't see much of a difference. Specific points that are truth and we dare not compromise on it are, for instance, the truth about non-resistance based dramatically on, on the saying of Christ when he said, love your enemies, pray for them that despitefully use you, do good to them. Now, that is being disregarded by some. And I have seen a statement of faith of uh, Switzerland where those things, they are not being part of it or are optional. Another point of of truth is the head covering, which is also being taken very lightly. That is, comes to the point where it's even hard and difficult to notice whether is there something on the head or not. And we notice that the head covering is not just a sign. It is a covering, a covering. The Bible doesn't call it just a sign. It's a sign to the angels, yes, but it is a covering. Another point Discipline, which becomes more and more difficult. Yes, there are voices we say, yes, they should do this, they should do that. Yes, but do we really support discipline? Do we support discipline, which implies order, order, or do we take it lightly and just do our thing, disappear when we like to disappear, come back when we like to come back, and people should not know where we were. Is, is the, all these things contribute to disorder, to lack of discipline, they weaken accountability, they weaken, and I wonder what the next point is going to be on the statement of faith that also is going to be disagreed on. Uh, Brother Doug is going to have a, a, an essay on eternal security in the coming meeting that we're having next Saturday in Omec. And there are even those that embrace that. 
Well, you know, we do ask the converts, well, do you believe this? Do you believe that? And we mean, is it based on the Bible? Is it truth? Must it be believed? Well, at the time, it seems there's agreement. But it doesn't take much. Afterwards, it's not so important. It's not so important, and, and inclinations and, and getting married becomes more important than the things that we once have affirmed to be truth and believed. God takes very serious <clears throat> once we have it has been declared unto us, and it's understood, and if we go back on it. He wasn't at all, did not indicate any judgment to the Philistines when they put the ark on a new cart. They were ignorant. They could not. They didn't have any, any Levitical priests that would carry the ark. But Israel, who was told, was accountable for it. When God declares the truth, it must be obeyed. You cannot compromise it. You cannot compromise it. You cannot go back. And that's the point that we need to remember when we meet others, also so-called Christians, that, <clears throat> that seem to be also like me. Do they believe the same thing? Do they hold the same thing? Well, I have come across very few, or practically nobody, that will uphold all those points. And those are just things taken out of the Bible. Some points, there's more to it. There's more to it. To love your enemies. How, are there, how is it possible that so many so-called Christians go to war? And that points to the fact that our denomination has a heritage that has been, uh, it has come about through persecution on those very points, through persecution, and has overcome. And we can point to that, that those things, when they really come, come to bear, that we believe really and obey them. It's easy to say, well, yes, love your enemy, and uh, I won't hurt anybody with, with a weapon and so forth. But when should there come a time where there is a forced conscription and where you are faced with it to either do it or you're going to be jailed for it? Then are you persuaded and are you ready to accept those things? Well, our forefathers did and did overcome. But those things are being challenged now. It goes also on a personal level. When we have made an experience with God and God has revealed a truth to us and taught us a lesson, we dare not again to go back and make the same mistakes. We dare not disobey again because now we know. When we know, God holds us to accountable. Paul, in his sermon at Athens, said, you know, at the ignorance, God winked at. No, God didn't go and right away condemn man and destroy him. No, but now he commands every man everywhere to repent. No. At the ignorance, God can be long-suffering, forbearing, but the truth which has been declared and which must be uphold, you know, God will not just let go easily. Even good intentions, we have to be careful. Yes.
Good intentions are good, but it has to be based in the truth. And I just can't get over it when the Apostle John, toward the end of his life, when he wrote those epistles, says, whom he loves in the truth. And we may draw people. We may be compassionate. We may do many good works. But if they are not anchored in truth, it will be of no avail. What we most need the world is that the truth be witnessed to them in a real way, in a real way. Jesus Christ said when he was before Pilate, I came for this purpose, to witness of the truth. And he charged us likewise. And when it really comes down, our greatest need really is we want the truth. We want the truth. We want the truth. We may find comfort in some things for a while, but ultimately we need to know the truth, the truth that makes us free. And only the truth will make us free. And that's the truth we want to impart also to our fellow men and not be ashamed of it, but declare it and declare it in love. Truth in love, the two go together. Truth by itself can be obnoxious, hurtful. Love by itself is eventually vain, but love in truth is the message of God. To him be all the honor and glory evermore. Amen. To the lawyer, he said, And who is neighbor to him that fell among the thieves? And the lawyer answered, He that showed mercy. And Jesus had a short reply, he said, Go to likewise. Didn't tell the lawyer, Now teach the people who is a neighbor. But he told them, Do it. And that was the end of the discussion, as far as we know. Whenever Jesus met people, he met them in their needs. And the obvious needs usually are physical at first. But it must go to the spiritual. And even if you reach out, and meet a need and invite somebody, what will they find when they come here? They better hear the truth. And they better hear it consistently from everyone. And those that have been around for quite a while, especially the older ones, they have the greatest responsibility to uphold what has been learned, uphold the truth. Every brother, every sister that has been around for number of years has that greater responsibility. We cannot expect it from the young ones. They may have the energy, they may have the connections to bring the people, but the truth must be contended by, by those that by reason of use have exercised their senses to discern both good and evil. And sometimes good and evil really requ requires discernment when it comes to things that go in the long range. May the Lord preserve us so that the truth be proclaimed here and that people that are brought, are come, are encouraged to come here, that they may hear the truth and not just a band-aid, not just a comfort for a short while, but something that is lasting and deep, lasting and deep. And the evidence 
I once read that the gospel really took hold in a new area is when the second generation turns to Christ. Think of it. That really places a great responsibility on what happens in the family. When children can follow the footsteps of their parents and fully believe that is the truth that doesn't go unnoticed by some that seek the truth. May the Lord bless his word. To him be all the honor and glory everybody. Amen. This concludes our service.